Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. This episode is brought to you by Wilfrid Laurier University, offering 100% online degree options, including a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, Bachelor of Arts in Criminology in Policing, Master of Public Safety, and five graduate diplomas in the areas of Emergency Management, National Security, Countering Crime, Border Strategies, and GIS and Data Analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards the BA in Policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.ca. Hello, Blue Line the Podcast subscribers. We hope you're doing well. Welcome to another episode of Blue Line the Podcast. I'm Renee Francar, the editor of Blue Line Magazine. Thanks for being here. Today, we're wandering into the education realm. So we're going to be chatting all about lifelong learning for law enforcement professionals and police leaders, as well as how learning and training has changed since COVID-19 hit earlier this year. Here to do that, I am so thrilled to welcome Dr. Lauren D. Eisler, the Dean of the Faculty of Human and Social Sciences at the Brantford campus of Wilfrid Laurier University. Lauren, prior to her current appointment, was the Interfaculty Associate Dean Academic Development, where she saw oversaw the development of both the BA Honors in Policing and the Master of Public Safety programs for the Faculty of Human and Social Sciences. She continues to oversee program development in the faculty and supports the development of both non-credit and credit offerings in the Center for Public Safety and Well-Being. Lauren holds a PhD in Sociology from the University of Saskatchewan, where her focus was the Sociology of Law and Criminology. She began her career at Wilfrid Laurier University in 2004 as one of the first four professors, and we should note the only female one, hired into the new criminology program beginning that year. Her areas of research include youth crime and justice and criminological theory. Lauren, thank you for your time and joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. And virtually, of course, so we're all right. doing our part to social distance. So, you know, before we get into it, tell me, how, how have you been? How has life changed for you since the uh, pandemic really, uh, really hit hard? Sure. Um, it, you know what? It changed. It changed pretty rapidly and it's changed pretty fundamentally, I think, for most of us. Um, you know, from working in an office and being surrounded by staff and students and faculty members, we are all uh, working remotely now. So we, uh, we are online and using Zoom and Teams. So that's, that's been a huge change. And I think probably for many of us, right, being, being isolated. Uh, Work-wise, it took a while to, uh, to, you know, get into a routine, but we continue on. And we are, are offering our courses online and remotely in the fall as our most universities. So we're working very hard to get those set up to, to ensure the student experience. Uh, on a personal level, I'm doing what everybody else is doing, socially isolating. Um, my family is all out on the West Coast and in Saskatchewan. So it in some ways has been a little bit easier. I'm used to not seeing them quite so much, but uh, my summer plans have changed. So, but we're all doing what we need to do and staying well and staying healthy. Wonderful. Good to hear it. I like that positive uh, vibe that was throughout that whole conversation. So thank you. You're right. It could be much worse, right? You know what? We all have good days and bad days. So you caught me on a good day. There we go. I love it. <laughs> That's right. So Laurier actually really rose up too when all of this um, hit to help support the positive mental well-being in these 
unprecedented and, and challenging times. I know it was uh, early April, I believe, when it began offering a free special edition of the course, Essential Self-Care and Resilience. Right. And that's based on, I think, modules within the school's positive psychology certificate. So I, I know a few uh, police services have been utilizing this resource, but tell me more about why uh, services, agencies, leaders in agencies should really look into uh, these types of resources, especially uh, on positive psychology and especially now. Right. Well, I think, you know, the, the idea of positive psychology is, is um, a different twist on traditional psychology. So, so traditional psychology takes a look at and focuses on what is not working in your life, what, what's broken and how do we fix it. So a couple of years ago, the, the Center for Public Safety and Wellbeing developed a, a certificate in positive psychology. And positive psychology turns around and says, okay, what are your strengths? What are you doing well? And how do we incorporate those strengths to make your life better? Right. So it, it's really looking at the positives you already have going on in your life and how to how to sort of shore those up and how to take those into areas that might not be going quite as well. So it's strength based as opposed to what's wrong and let's fix it. What's good and let's make it better. And so we developed um, a, a 80 hour certificate in this. Well, when COVID hit and people were really having having a hard time coming to grips with what life was going to look like and there was a lot of uncertainty and this this transcends law enforcement or first responders but in many ways right first responders and, and law enforcement had the double um, stressors of trying to figure out how to how to make this all work for them as well as continuing in their role in public safety right how do they keep people safe how do they come home and not bring potential infection into their families? So the, the Center for Public Safety and Wellbeing, Elise Kirby and Holly Cox, took some of the modules of positive psychology and, and made them into about a five to six hour set of, of uh, educational opportunities and, and made them free, offered them up to whoever wanted to enroll in them. And we did that so that people could have something to help them incorporate some of these ideas of positive psychology without the huge time commitment and the cost involved. So to date, we've had just over 4,300 people enroll in the course. It's anonymous, so we don't actually know who you are. Okay, what happens is you email the Center for Public Safety and Wellbeing. They give you a password. You go onto the site you let yourself in, and then you can go back as often as you want. So the modules are there to work through at your own speed. You can go back and review them if you need a little, you know, a little extra support. And they also provide links to other, other um, opportunities for education, videos, articles to read. So you can, you can go whenever you want. You know, you, if it's three o'clock in the morning and you're having trouble sleeping and you want to go back and revisit it, you can do that. And there's no time limit on it. So it's it, we're leaving it open for um, the foreseeable future so that people can continue to to access it. Oh, wow. That that flexibility is huge for, for police officers and first responders in general. So that will really make a difference. And clearly the numbers speak to that. Um, are you able to share any feedback that you have received from police services who maybe utilize that free module? Yeah, um, we I mean, we, we've had thank yous 
um, the acknowledgement that they've made it available to. But because it's anonymized, we don't actually know unless somebody were to contact us and identify who they were and give us whatever feedback. Um, because there is still some concern. People, people are, are maybe a little hesitant or reticent to be talking about accessing things around mental health and well-being. So we felt the best way is if people want to reach out. I can tell you one that has that you know was really touching that that does not deal with law enforcement or first responders. But we received feedback from a, an 81-year-old woman in April who was in isolation with her 85-year-old husband who has Alzheimer's. And a, a colleague or a neighbor um, had reached out to her and let her know about this positive psychology modules, this self-care um, module, and she was taking it. And she reached out to us to say how helpful it was and the links and the, and the support that she felt through it. So that was probably the one that sort of touched my heart the most was to think that it, the broad base that this can support is really important. So, you know, as, as unless someone says, I am so-and-so with this service, I really don't know who, who is providing the feedback. Understood. No, and that, that is a beautiful touching story, especially with the isolation that everybody has been dealing with. So that's, that's awesome. Right. Thanks for sharing. So in your opinion, you know, how does education, it might seem like an obvious question, but how does education help police officers with well-being and resiliency overall? Sure. Um, I, I want to sort of start off by, and I'll get more as we go along, I'll talk a little bit more into the professional development for, for police officers. Lifelong learning allows people to continue to learn and to practice ways to engage in self-care. But I also want to talk about, you know, the, this idea of lifelong learning does not have to be sort of post-secondary or formal education, right? Lifelong learning is really to engage and have fun, to develop personally, to build relationships. It allows for personal growth right? I often tell students um, who are, you know, entering from high school when they talk about lifelong learning and, you know, their lifeline has been 18 or 19 years and they talk about what is lifelong learning. I often say travel is one of the best ways if you want to engage in learning, if you want to engage in other cultures. Well, unfortunately, right now, travel is kind of off the table, but there are still ways to engage in that lifelong learning. So, I think when I when I think about law enforcement officers, these are really stressful times. And the job itself is often extremely stressful. And we sometimes, myself included, have trouble disconnecting from work when I leave it, right? I, I lay in bed at night and I ruminate about what didn't go right and what I should have done different and what's coming down the pipeline. And if you engage in lifelong learning, whatever it may be, it allows you to step away from that part of your life and engage in something new. So if you're, if I think about it, um, I've decided I should learn how to play the ukulele. When I'm trying to figure out the chords, and I'm doing it like most of us now through YouTube, right? I am not thinking about what's on my plate for tomorrow or what I didn't get done. I'm concentrating on that in the moment. And so lifelong learning, you know, when we, when we link it to things like self-care and resiliency, it allows us to step outside of things that cause us stress. And learning new things can still be stressful, but there's positive stress and there's negative stress. 
right? So even things like I laugh because once toilet paper was back on the shelves, you couldn't find flour anywhere because so many people are learning how to bake bread. Well, that's lifelong learning, right? Learning how to tie flies if you're a fisherman, lifelong learning. So I think for, for law enforcement, um, you know, as I said, we'll talk more about the sort of professional development piece, but it allows you to focus on other areas of, of life and well-being. So for me, that's one of the, the really strong components of, of, of a benefit of lifelong learning. I love that. And, and I don't feel so guilty now taking all that time to learn to do sourdough bread making. <laughs> I haven't tried that yet because I couldn't find any flour, actually. <laughs> so. Uh, that's awesome. Well, another impact of, of COVID-19 is, is the way it's um, forced police training to actually change. So we've been looking right at um, aspects that can move to an online platform. So I'm curious, with your experience in both um, online learning and, and remote learning, uh, I've learned the difference. Do you have any tips or words of wisdom you know, for police leaders as they adapt to this more social distancing friendly uh, type platform for, for officer training um, and or, or just education purposes for officers? Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's a really big question. So I'm going to try to keep it fairly, fairly general. Uh, and I think the first is to make, make use of the platforms like Zoom or Teams, right? Because they allow you to still have that face-to-face -face interaction with people, even though it is, it is, you know, online or remote. With that in mind, however, I would, I would really strongly encourage people to keep the groups small, right? We've done teams at the university where we've had town halls and we've had a thousand people participating. That is a huge thing to manage, right? You need people in the background and it's also, you can't see the people. So it's, it's really not terribly interactive. I would say keep the meetings um, small. I would say keep the meetings fairly short because, you know, research is coming out that doing meetings through Zoom or through Teams is much more exhausting than doing face-to-face -face meetings. And part of that is, is when we're communicating, we look for nonverbal cues, right? We spent, we, we read people for how they're reacting to what we're saying. When you're on video and you're seeing small boxes with people's faces, it's much more difficult to pick up those cues. So people are concentrating very, very hard in these meetings and they come out and they're Zoom exhausted, right? They're Zoomed out completely. So, so don't make them too long. I think one of the, for training purposes, I think one of the really um, important ways to do that is to bring in both synchronous and asynchronous um, opportunities. And what we mean by that is when we're using synchronous methods, that's when we're meeting one on, you know, we're meeting at the same time. So it would be a Zoom meeting where everything is happening at this particular time. Asynchronous means people can go off and do whatever they have to do on their own time. And so we like to incorporate what we would call a flipped classroom for this. So say you're going to do a training session. You would put up your material on, on your platform. It might be that what you want them to read, what you want them to watch, the different, those different elements, and you would do that asynchronously. So it would be available. People can do it when they have time. And you also then give them the set of learning outcomes or objectives or a set of questions that you want them to think about as they're looking at this material. Then you host a, a synchronous 
meeting where everyone comes together, let's say on Zoom, and talks about it. But everybody's done the prep work on their own. So instead of trying to get people to come together and do a six-hour training session, you let people fit it into their own schedule and then come together for a smaller period. We call that, you know, sort of a flipped classroom idea where you do a lot of the prep work on your own and then you come back. So those, those allow um, our courses that we, we offer in our programs are mostly run asynchronously so that people can fit them into their schedules. At, so they might have a, you know, if, if there's an assignment due, it might be due on a particular day, but they don't have to be doing it at a particular time. So I think things like that. Um, I think the other thing I would say is I'll, I'll put this out there is, you know, we've had a fair amount of experience doing this kind of, of work um, online and on remote. So if, you know, if someone is, is interested in a sort of more detailed discussion, reach out to us. You can send me an email and I can either connect you with, with who I think would be a good person for you to talk to because we have the expertise and we have the infrastructure and we can certainly give you some examples that you might want to look at and get an idea on that. You know, one of the things that's come out of this whole COVID is it has asked us to think about how might we better meet the needs of our students. You know, we have students that simply can't attend at a specific time. And so I think that I think there's lessons to be learned here. And I'm, I'm happy to share those as we go forward. Wonderful. Yes, I'll make sure that your contact information is, is online with the, where we host this podcast. So thank you for that and the offer You're of the, the help. Um, and I, I like how you said the flipped classroom. And it, it also got me thinking of, uh, I believe we, we talked about a hybrid kind of model of, of learning, right? And incorporating um, both those options. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It allows people to still come together and have those discussions. Some people, you know, are able to read through the material fairly quickly. Other people can read it in chunks because they fit it in. So, you know, if you have a time frame, if you say, you know what, you've, you have a week in order to do this, we're getting together at a specific time. Then if you're like me and you procrastinate and you'll leave it till 15 minutes ahead of time, you do it, right? Uh, whatever works, right? Best as, as there's different kinds of learners. So the more opportunities we can give for the different types of learning, the more successful it's going to be. I love that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of stepping away from that standardized one way of uh, taking information in and, and uh, testing on it. So it's, it's great. Right. All right. Well, let's steer the conversation, you know, back to that broader topic of lifelong learning, sure. but maybe more in that professional sense. So maybe you have some examples of, of how lifelong learning has played a role in a police officer's career over time. Um, so from that professional idea of how it's uh, uh, really changed things uh, for perhaps a first responder, we'd love to hear that. Sure. So one of the, you know, one of the reasons we developed our, our policing program was we, we had people wanting to come to the university and asking us, saying, you know, I've been in law enforcement for a number of years, I want to continue with my education, I maybe have a college degree, or, you know, maybe I don't, but quite often I have a college um, diploma, or I have an undergraduate degree, but I want to continue on, right, for professional purposes. So what kinds of courses would, what kinds of programs would be best for me? I can't come into a classroom on a regular basis. I can't go full time. So we developed our Bachelor's of Policing program and it's, um, it's a direct entry and it is only for serving or retired police officers. 
And uh, our program coordinator is Scott Blanford, who is a retired officer with 30 years on, on a, uh, the London force, who also has his doctorate of business administration. Um, and his, his thesis was actually on the need to professionalize policing. So we met a number of years ago and, and uh, decided that we were brother and sisters from, from different bloodlines and had the same vision. And we created a program that incorporates courses from criminology, from health studies, from leadership, as well as um, programs and courses are, pardon me, courses that are unique to policing. So we have cultural competencies, we have ethics, um, we have a number of these courses, and it's fully online and it's part-time because it met the needs of officers who wanted to continue their education, but needed to do it in a way that they could fit it in to, to their schedules and their lifestyle. So we run courses, they're six weeks in length instead of the traditional 12 weeks. People can stop in and stop out. So if they know they have something that they can't take a course, right, they're too busy for six weeks, they can step out, they can come back in again and take the course. So, you know, society has become much more complicated. And I think the roles of policing have become much more complicated. They've been asked to do much, much more than, you know, um, sort of the traditional elements of policing. And so giving people the opportunity to engage with other officers and with qualified academics to talk about the issues that they're facing. It's, I don't know if you can hear my dogs, but there was just the mailman came up and they're just letting me know. <laughs> they're good guard dogs. That's what you they can are. edit it. Well, considering one's about 15 pounds, but, <laughs> but she has a big voice. <laughs> There you go. It's all in how you view yourself, right? So she's got a good Absolutely. view of herself. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't worry about, about that. <laughs> no problem. But, uh, uh, that I'm getting used to. That doesn't usually happen in my office when I'm at work. <laughs> so one of the changes I'm getting used to. Anyway, so I think, I think that, that that plays a role. I think it also um, allows for, for officers to develop leadership skills, right? And, and that's, a, that's a huge component in our in our courses right as well as things like diversity and different and cultural awareness and those themes are woven through so we do have two courses on diversity and we have two courses on indigenous political structures and indigenous issues but we also weave those themes throughout for those who have a a, a university degree we have a masters of public safety which allows, same thing, fully online and allows for, um, there are core courses that are taken and then it's built on the four pillars of public safety as identified by the federal government. So then if you want to move into one of those roles. But we also have lots of non-credit and certificates that, that officers can take. So really what we want to see, um, you know, our goal is to have law enforcement officers have a wide access, uh, a wider range of courses and materials that they can study that help them develop the way that they want to develop and make further contributions to, to police services. I think what we view is police services is a learning organization and they're striving to improve service delivery. And by officers personally developing these skills, they contribute to that, right? And they become responsive to the needs of the community as it changes. And so I think that's that's for me what I get really passionate about is what can we offer to, to assist police and police services 
in, in me- meeting their mandates and, and representing uh, the communities that they serve in. I love that. Yeah. And as, as you said, as the job gets more complicated, uh, you know, the, the increase of mental health calls alone, um, just being able to give uh, our readers, our listeners, police officers in general across the country, more and more tools to do their job better, right? That's, that's the goal here. And I think uh, Lori is aligned. Exactly. And I think, as I said, I think it can be, you know, we have, we have specific programs that you come out with a degree, but we also have courses, right, that you can take through the Center for Public Safety and Well-Being. That, and we, I, I will mention one very briefly that we're just, the press we release, well, I guess if we're, we're uh, running this in July, the press release will be out. But the university, in partnership with the United Nations on, on Drugs and Crime, has created a certificate in global crime and justice. That's and it awesome. will be available to all, um, whether you're a student, at Laurier or a student in another university or and it, it is made up of 10 modules of which you would take eight of those and then you end up with a certificate in that and it is is in partnership with the United Nations who approached us about about building this. Wow, that is fantastic. So yeah. yet again, uh, even uh, the programs at Laurier are constantly evolving as well. So there's absolutely something new or something for somebody who, who might not think that there is a course for them. Yeah. We, um, yeah, I can tell you, you know, our first one was a partnership with the OPC and the Ontario Police College. They got some funding um, through the Proceeds of Crime grant, and they approached us to develop a situation table training certificate which is still up at the public safety and well-being website and it's it's completely free and people go in and they take this and at the end of it they receive a certificate saying that they they are now right competent in situation table training so those are the kind of things you know people come to us with ideas and say you know we seem to be we we need to work more in this area can you help us develop something and we work with them and you know, and can host it for them and do the kind of administrative managing of it and offer certificates through it. So we're, uh, we're pretty open to, to meeting the needs of the communities. I love that. And, and key partnerships, you know, between agencies Absolutely. and uh, academic institutions are really key. And I think moving forward, they're only going to be more and more key as we uh, have these, you know, large discussions about ethics and, and diversity. So uh, absolutely. Our cool. very first program, our Bachelor of Policing, actually evolved through we hired a consultant who went out and, and consulted with 22 police services across Canada to say, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? in your in a program and so we developed it through the consultation and we you know uh, and then you know it went through all of the academic processes that a program develops at a university to to ensure the academic credibility of it but we but we wanted to reach out to say you tell us what it is the issues you're dealing with and then we will bring our academics in to to develop it for you yeah, it really sounds like there's something for everybody uh, who's looking to, to add a little bit to their plate. So, so that being said, you know, I'm curious if, if an officer is looking to add maybe just a course or two, they yeah. just want to start enriching their leadership capabilities, but they're nervous about where to, to start, which we're finding a lot of people just don't know where to start because there are right. so many options, right? It can be overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. What, what, what would you recommend to someone who's, you know, fairly maybe green in policing, uh, but they have this mm-hmm. desire to expand their knowledge and continue to expand that knowledge, but they're a bit anxious. Where, where should they start? You know what? I would probably go to the university's websites 
right? And, I, you know, obviously I would say come to Laurier and see what we have to offer, but also go to, go to other universities that you've heard of or you're interested in or it's your alma mater or whatever, right? Go to their websites and see what they have to offer. Then if you find something that you're interested in, we would encourage you to, to reach out to the chair of that program or the coordinator or the manager of that center and say, can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what are the expectations? What, you know, what are um, the time demands on me? Um, you know, start, a, start as a part-time, you know, come to the Center for Public Safety and Wellbeing and take a non-credit certificate, right? It's something smaller. We have, uh, we have one called Emerging Digital Technologies. And it's, it's a number of different modules that deal with Bitcoin and, and blockchain and all, you know, um, all of these areas, uh, GIS, um, data analytics, and it's 10 hours, right? So it, there's 10 modules, they're, they're, you know, eight to 10 hours each. You can just take one, dip your toe in the water, take the free situation table training. Take the free um, self-care and resiliency. It gives you a sense. But reach out to us, right? Reach out to the, reach out to the chair and, and ask those questions. That, that's what we're there for. And you can do that right across multiple institutions and, and work to find the one that fits best for you. There's lots and lots of opportunities. Exactly. It sounds like there's, there's a fit for, for everybody. So just Absolutely. research. Wonderful. Well, if you've, if you've caught any of our previous episodes, um, you know we end each one with two fun questions that give listeners more of an inside scoop about who our guest is. So that being said, what is <laughs> something your colleagues might not know about you? Oh, boy, there was a bunch of those. <laughs> I don't know how much <laughs> I want to let out. Um, I think probably I'd have to confess that on occasion, I swear like a drunken pirate. <laughs> And that's, that tends to be not something I do in an office setting, at least it. not where I can be heard. Right. I <laughs> so. love it. It's honest. And I think yeah. a lot of our listeners could probably relate to that. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. And one thing you couldn't live without, you know, and, and maybe the pandemic's kind of revealed this even more clearly to you. Oh, no. I've always known I could not live without my morning coffee. And you know what? And the swearing like a drunken sailor and the amount of coffee I drink often goes hand in hand. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> if you ever, if I ever missed my morning coffee, I'm sure the drunken pirate part would come out. Right. So we, those would be two, two things, I think. I need that caffeine. I hear you. Absolutely. Awesome. I go to bed at night saying I can hardly wait to get up in the morning for my coffee. You start smelling it in your sleep. Yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lauren, thank you so much for your insight and guidance today and just breaking down lifelong learning into tangible uh, and easy to digest uh, bits for our listeners. We appreciate it. You're welcome. I just want to say, please remember, lifelong learning does not have to be formal education. Lifelong learning should be fun and exciting and keep you engaged. Thank you so much for having me. Stay well and stay safe. Thank you. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Make sure to check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us under Annex Business Media, podcast for work. Also check out our podcast tab on blueline.ca. And July 23rd, Blue Line is embarking on a new venture. We're hosting our very first virtual symposium and product showcase. So make sure to register. It's free. And you can join us for half a day of learning and online engagement. Thank you to everyone listening, especially those out on the front lines protecting our communities.
stay safe. This episode is brought to you by Wilfrid Laurier University, offering 100% online degree options, including a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, Bachelor of Arts in Criminology in Policing, Master of Public Safety, and five graduate diplomas in the areas of Emergency Management, National Security, Countering Crime, Border Strategies, and GIS and Data Analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards the BA in Policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.ca. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. Thank you.